Hello and welcome to today's episode of Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki Rousseau, CEO and founder of Exaptic, a robotics company based in Melbourne. It gives me great pleasure to introduce our guest today, Dr. Damien Key. Damien is an independent technology education expert who specializes in bringing technology concepts to teachers and educators around the world. With a focus on robotics, programming and electronics, he works to educate teachers on the benefits and relative ease with which technology can be embedded into their daily classroom activities. Damien, welcome and thanks very much for joining me today. Thank you very much for the invitation. Um, I'm really looking forward to this. Oh, great. Um, that's quite a mouthful that in the introduction of what you do there, but sufficient or suffice to say to my audience out there, I've seen you sit on the floor, photos of you sitting there playing with kids, having great fun. So I think um, the synopsis of that is fun. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I do spend a lot of time with kids and, you know, it's great to be able to get down to their level. If it, you know, um, means sitting down on the floor with them to teach them new concepts, then I'm, I'm more than happy to do that. Yeah, I think um, I think education has changed so much um, from um, I speak for myself in the times when I was at school that you sit down, you don't you you don't speak unless you're spoken to, and um, there was still corporate punishment. So I'm really showing my age now, <laughs> and also, but I'm South African. Let me just have South African, so that was still okay to do that. <laughs> No, so, we've definitely, uh, definitely come a long way since then. Um, yeah, those um, days are rows and rows of desks where you would just listen to the teacher have, uh, have been uh, largely replaced now with um, lots of new things that have come out. And I just wish some of this stuff was out when I was still in school. Yeah, look, I think especially with COVID, I think it's, we've got a completely new way of educating um, online. I think a lot of people are quite fatigued at this stage, but I think as we get more robust in it, it's going to become commonplace. Yeah, they keep talking about the new normal. And while what we're in at the moment will not last forever, there are certainly aspects of what we're doing now in terms of remote education and learning from home that will persist on in the future. Yeah, and that actually is quite exciting if you think about it, because it opens up a whole new um, avenue for people who would normally not have thought, okay, this isn't accessible to me. And I actually, it is accessible to you. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So you have a PhD in robotics. What was your thesis about? Um, so I've got PhD in humanoid robotics. I did my PhD back in 2007. That's when it was uh, awarded to me. And we were looking at uh, building robots. Uh, and my particular focus was a humanoid robot. So we built this humanoid robot. It was about 1.2 meters tall. This was long before humanoid robots were fairly standard. And um, my research was around actually how do we look at, how do we um, get the robot to walk? And it's quite a complex uh, problem because our robot had 23 degrees of freedom. So with 23 separate motors, how do you figure out where those motors need to go to get an inherently unstable robot, something on two legs, to actually walk? And my research was looking at the human cerebellum and how does a human brain actually learn? And how can we use that idea to teach a robot how to walk? So rather than telling a robot, giving it all very specific uh, waypoints and those sorts of things with every joint, can we give it some basic rules? As in, you've got to keep your center of gravity over this point. You can kind of rock to side to side. Don't forget to pick up your legs as you, you walk along. Can we run something like a neural networks or genetic algorithms to develop a, a pathway for all the joints to go through to get some nice uh, stable walking? So yeah, that, that's what my, um, my research was on. Listen, like as you're sitting here talking about it, I'm thinking fast forward to today where we look at some of the humanoids that we work with and you go like this is just so commonplace. So you were way ahead of the curve at that time, nearly 20 years yeah. ago doing this. 
Yeah, and and like the robots that we were building, they were large, they were clunky. We had uh, motors that weren't very fast. We were having all sorts of backlash problems as well. The processors didn't have the speed to run through the control loops that we have nowadays. Things like artificial intelligence and genetic algorithms were still in their infancy in terms of um, the, the research going into them. So when we actually got our robot to take a couple of steps, that was a you know that was a joyous occasion. It's that was something that. <laughs> Hadn't been seen around the world in many places at all. I hope you have, you've got this on film somewhere, a video clip that we can show the audience. I do. I can send you a link if you'd like. Oh, brilliant. I'd love that. I mean, um, you know, just talking about computational, the, um, the power of computers and things, what you need today. If you think um, if you had everything accessible today, what you did then, I mean, it would have been completely different. But um, like it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation. Yeah. You've got to start somewhere and the, yeah. the groundwork that uh, groups like ours and others around the world laid for other people to develop on makes, yeah. you know, the things that we see nowadays makes them commonplace. Yeah. So what do you think of the humanoid robotics that, that's available today? Do you think um, they've made like huge leaps or, I mean, from where you've been, yes, they have, but in the time they've had to do it, there are all sorts of factors that you can take into account. Yeah, no, I think some of the humanoid robots that are um, at the moment are really, really advanced, especially the things around active fall control and um, dynamic planning of uh, gates and things like that. There's some really, really nice robots. And um, we're starting to see more and more those, of those come through research institutes. And they're actually doing some really good research around how we actually interact those ones, those robots with uh, the human world. The, the, the biggest reason why we talk about the reason for doing a humanoid robot is that the world that we live in has been built for humans to operate in. Yeah. And so the best form for a robot to, to be able to interact with our human environment without having to modify the human environment is a humanoid form. Yeah. And that's the, the basis premise, basic premise behind why we do humanoid robotics. And so the more we can see these robots into normal workspaces, unstructured workspaces, where we don't have to adjust doorknobs or um, chair heights or anything like that, I think that those kind of robots will be really, really useful in the future. Yeah, I mean, you, you touch on a valid point there. What is the use of a robot if you, as a human, have to adjust your environment so that the, the robot can work? I mean, that's actually quite ridiculous. You know, you, you want a, a fully functioning robot that comes in and it's adapted to us, the humans, not we the other yep. way around. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And if we have to put in ramps so that they can go up over steps and if we have to put in special door handles so that the robots can get through them, then there is this real trade-off between, you know, having a robot that um, can do all the things that we need to do versus in an environment where we have to significantly modify it to be able to, to operate. We're seeing lots of stuff come through in terms of industrial robots, in terms of making them really, really safe. And that's also a really, really big consideration as well. When yeah. we are working side by side with robots and interacting with them, we do need to make sure that they're also quite safe. So in terms of humanoid robotics as well, now that the human aspect of um, robots such as Pepper, um, the Naya, the QT robot that I've got, that are all animated, they've got faces so that people can relate it. I mean, there was a study done up in Townsville Hospital um, by one of my previous guests, um, Anne Alvin, and the study was the interaction of Pepper with between nurses, um, patients, and the robot to see. And, and Pepper was a great hit. I mean, people just, they, the, the switchboard was inundated with people phoning and asking when's the robot going to be there again. Yeah, there's this real um, natural um, interaction when you have a robot that looks vaguely human-like yeah. that people will uh, respond to it a lot better in many, many circumstances. If you have this cold box on two wheels that kind of drives around, 
then it's very impersonal. And yeah, I've, I've seen some of that research that's come through that shows that the, the success of a robot in a workplace does um, rely quite heavily on its interaction. And if we can make it more relatable, and I, that doesn't mean making it more human-like, but if we give it some features, some anthropomorphization um, that allow people to kind of respond to it a little bit better, then they're, gonna, they're going to use it more and they're going to interact with it more. And that then in turn makes it a much more usable robot. Yeah. So how did you get into educational robots and what do you define as an educational robot? So while I was doing my PhD at the University of Queensland, we started up the um, outreach program. So we're getting school students into university to show them what we were doing. And so I was running lots and lots of workshops, robotics workshops for kids. And that's kind of where my, my path has taken me away from humanoid robots and more into educational robots. But this idea that we can use a robot base, a robot platform, as a way to teach kids fundamental ideas around computational thinking and coding and those sorts of things. So educational robots is quite a wide kind of definition, but basically it's, it's any kind of robot that you use in a robot has been used in education settings all the way down to little kind of uh, micro bits or um, uh, Arduinos and those sorts of things. So it's a very, very wide and, and varied field. But anything, you know, anything we see in a classroom, anything where the robot is used to teach, then I, I class that as an educational robot. Okay, and it's something so that I've been doing now for, for, for many years is this idea of using these robots in classrooms. So touch on the many years. Um, have, do you have an example of a student that you may have had that um, came through an education process with you that's gone into robotics now or that suddenly went, listen, this is where I'm going and this is what I'm going to be doing? Yeah, look, I've, I've worked with thousands of kids, so it's hard to pick out a few, but there's been uh, a few kids. So I was very heavily involved in the Robocop Junior competition as well that we run every year. And we've had students that have done Robocop Junior that have gone on to work for, for Microsoft, for Google. There's one over in the States at the moment doing a startup on delivery robots. Um, we've had uh, Robocop Junior students that have gone into, uh, I think there's a couple over in the UK at the moment working on autonomous driving robots. So yeah, we, we see these kids that come through and, and do robotics and, and really it, it lights a spark within them that then go on to do some quite amazing things. Yeah. And I, I mean, I like it that they go overseas, but I would actually prefer it that they came back to Australia because we actually desperately need them. And we need like really rich people here to make it worth their while to come and, and you know, utilize their knowledge here. Like, because I think that the, the big draw card obviously is the salaries that they've been offered overseas. Um, yep. and, and companies come here and they, they just they just pick and poach our best talent and off they go overseas. And I can't blame these kids for going, you know, A, for the experience and also the money. But eventually we do want them back in Australia. We, we have a great education system here and we're turning out some really, really smart kids. And yeah, it is disappointing that they're all heading off overseas. But the more that we churn out, I think the more that we'll have a chance of retaining some back in Australia. And like you say, we need some companies to, to set up shop here in Australia, yeah. more companies. There's some great ones around, but the more we can get in here and, and keep that knowledge within Australia would be fantastic. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously this is a passion of yours. Why do you believe it's important to teach robotics in schools? So this is a, a bit of a misnomer. So there, we talk a lot about teaching coding and teaching robotics in schools. And we see a lot of stuff in the media about how we have to teach coding. But from an educational point of view and from a curriculum point of view, there's actually nothing in the Australian curriculum which says we have to teach robots or we have to teach coding. What I love about robots and coding is the fact that we're actually teaching computational thinking. Mm -hmm. And this is a skill that can be used across any industry, across any career. 
And we actually use the coding and the robotics as a platform, as a way to lure in the kids, to show them this stuff can be, can be really fun. So when we talk about teaching robots, we're actually not teaching the robots. We're actually using the robots as a platform to teach ideas such as problem identification, problem decomposition, prototyping, iteration, those sorts of things, because they're the actual skills that we want our, our kids to take on. Now, I'm under no illusions that um, every kid that comes through my workshop is going to go on and become a software engineer or a robotics engineer. That's, you know, that doesn't make sense. But what I really want to do is take these, um, these ideas of robotics and as the kids you know, play with the robots and learn how to do things like problem solving and problem decomposition, the idea of you know, taking a big problem and breaking it down, this is something that we have to do in robotics all the time. But if they can take those ideas and then no matter what career they go on to, you know, they might be in business, they might be in law, they might take on a trade or anything like that. They'll take those skills that they've learned from using the robots. And that's one of the, you know, one of the great things that we can, we can teach them. So yeah, when we see stuff, you know, uh, floating through the media that we have to teach kids coding, I, I don't exactly agree with that. Yeah, we and have to met, teach kids, yeah, yeah, we have to teach kids the, computational thinking and yeah. we use the coding to do that. Yeah, and it sounds so daunting. You go like, what the hell is this all about? So, I mean, um, I was under the impression in Queensland, like um, coding is now embedded in the curriculum there. Is, is that right? Or um, Kind of. So kind we of. have... Um, we, so we have the Australian curriculum and one of the strands of the Australian curriculum is called technologies and the technologies curriculum breaks down into two separate things. We have digital technologies and design and technologies and within the digital technologies, we have to teach computational thinking. Now you can teach computational thinking without teaching coding. It's possible. There are ways around it, but the best tool for the job to teach computational thinking is to teach coding. So while the um, curriculum doesn't explicitly say we have to teach coding, Coding is one of the best ways we've found in terms of teaching this computational thinking. So as a result, we see a lot of uh, coding being taught throughout schools. And that's not just Australia, uh, not just Queensland, that's throughout Australia. So that is definitely embedded into the Australian curriculum. So we are getting lots and lots of kids coming through now who have had a, a touch of coding, whether it be something as simple as a bit of HTML to generate a web page, all the way through to some you know complex Python, JavaScript, and those sorts of things. We're, we're starting to see some really good kids come through with that kind of knowledge. And that's actually, you know, I mean, I deal with a lot of schools in Victoria because that's where I live. And um, I think one of the challenges they face is the coding is it, in all schools, it's all different. Like and and feeder schools, high schools, get all these primary schools that the kids have been exposed to X, Y and Z. And then they come to your high school and then you've got these kids on all, you know, they're all on different levels. So I think I suppose it's a big challenge for the education system to get all the primary schools going, OK, that you need to go between this, these parameters, you should have at least touched on something so that by the time they get to high school and the teachers have got them there, they know you've got some basic understanding of it. Yeah. And we've, we've got to be really careful that we don't make that basic understanding. Everyone needs to know Python or everyone yeah. needs to know C or everyone needs to know Scratch. What we need is when they get to high school, as we know, every kid needs to know about loops and we need yeah. every kid needs to understand a branching statement and if else statement. Yeah. And the nice thing about that is if you've got that concept, it doesn't matter what programming language you're teaching. Yeah. Because you can just say, oh, this is how we do an if statement in this particular programming language. Yeah. And so it, it comes down to teaching the concept rather than the actual, the syntax. Yeah. The syntax is important and every single language has its, you know, pros and cons in terms of what it can be used. Yeah. But we do need to remember, and especially when, uh, and I spend a lot of team, time working with teachers, we need to be able to, you know, get across to these teachers that it's not teaching the platform. It's making sure that we're teaching the concept. Yeah. So just... Just talking about teachers, how how have the upskilled teachers to be able to do this? Because you know, like this is 
suddenly from nothing, whoops, now you have to, everyone needs to know about it. How's the education department and like people like you managing all of this? We have some amazing tools out there. Um, there's a, a programming language called Scratch Programming, which is a block-based programming, visual-based programming that uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology has produced. And it is a fantastic way for getting um, kids and teachers alike up into programming very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. What I love about a lot of these visual programming languages, you don't really have to worry too much about syntax. Um, you don't have to worry if you've missed a semicolon at the end of a line or you know, you've got your brackets in the wrong spot or anything like that because the, the visual programming language takes a lot of that, that clunkiness out of it yeah. and just lets you uh, concentrate on the, the concept itself. The nice thing about Scratch too is because it's so visual based and the output's very visual, it lends itself very much to things like animations and games, which makes it really, really engaging. So when I'm working with teachers, I, I spend a lot of time with teachers that have never seen a line of code in their life. But within an hour or two hours, we are, you know, programming a simple little game or a simple little animation. Yeah. And it's that ability to get up and running with, uh, you know, some, some content very, very quickly that the teachers kind of look at that and, you know, you can turn around after an hour and go, you know what, you made that yourself. This coding doesn't have to be complex. You hear yeah. the words programming and you hear the words algorithm and a lot of teachers just freak out because they haven't come from that background. And that's, you know, that's understandable. But if you show them that, you know, things like, you know, we talk a lot about um, an algorithm is just like uh, baking a cake. Yeah. You have a recipe and you have a set of instructions and you follow the set of instructions and you end up with a cake. Yeah. Coding's exactly the same. We have yeah. ourselves our set of instructions. So it's really about breaking down those misconceptions and showing the teachers that it's not as scary as they think it is. And if we can kind of encourage those teachers to, to really get into it and have a bit of fun with it, then they're more likely to pass that enthusiasm onto their students. Of course. And I mean, we, we're talking about a generation now that needs it now, like youngsters in primary school um, in 2020, that the teachers know what they're doing so that by the time they're in high school and they go to university, they go, no, like we, we've got this down pat. So, um, yeah. So how do we engage? But we've also got to keep in, sorry, we've also got to keep in mind too that nowadays we don't expect our teachers to be the fount of all knowledge, the fount of all knowledge. Yeah. We don't want our teachers to, you know, dig their heads into the textbooks and understand everything. Instead, we want our teachers to be able to point our kids in the right direction. There's yeah. no way a teacher can stay on top of all of the latest things in programming. That's just, you know, that's un unfeasible. So instead, what we want to be able to do is teach our teachers how they can support their students. There are so many resources out there that students will learn on their own if yeah. they are pushed in the right direction. And so the teachers need to understand that their kids will be better than them at programming. And that's yeah. okay. But yeah. the, as a, the teacher's, you know, um, skill will be in showing the kids where to find the right information. Well, that's it. Um, and uh, one of my previous guests as well, Gail uh, Bray, that's, that's her philosophy. I don't need to know everything. Like, I, I'm, I'm here to show you where you can find it. And as educators, I think that's, that's a gold statement is I, I can't possibly know everything. I mean, you know, in my particular field of robotics, telepresence, I know a little bit about that. And I, yep. I can't possibly know all the other things. And people go, have you heard of this? And I go, oh, no, I haven't. But I go, but at least I know all this stuff, you know, I know a little bit about this. <laughs> but you also have the skills to then say, I know that I don't know this, yeah. but these are the things I need to go and find out to get to my end point. Yeah. And they're the kind of soft skills that we want to be teaching our kids as well, research skills. And we want to say to them, look, we don't expect you to memorize this, but you do need to have a set of skills, a set of strategies to be able to take whatever challenge is thrown at you and come up with a path forward to go ahead and solve that. Yeah. So it's ability to identify, listen, for my job, I need that. So I need to go and investigate further. I don't need to know all these other things, but for this particular aspect of my job, I need to know this stuff. 
So. Yep, yep, exactly. So how do we engage all kids uh, with robots and STEAM? Okay, and, and just for our audience, if you just want to break down STEAM. So STEAM is uh, science, technology, engineering, arts, and maths. So it's a bit of a, um, an extension of the old STEM that we've, we've long talked about. I love the introduction of arts because it shows that a lot of this problem solving relies very heavily on creativity. And if we don't have that creativity, then we blind ourselves to a lot of the possible solutions that are out there. So we want to show the kids that it's okay to be creative and especially on that art side. Now I draw that a lot into my uh, workshops. We do things like musical instruments. We do artwork with our uh, robots just to show them that this sort of stuff, um, it, it, it's all related. And it's really important that kids kind of have this idea that STEAM is, it's not all separate silos of information. It's not like we just do science and then from that we forget about science and then we move on to maths. This idea that all the problems that we want to solve kind of have a little bit of everything, a bit of a kind of a systems approach to it. And this idea that we want to try and draw on a little bit of all of those different areas, science, technology, engineering, arts and maths to come up with a good um, solution. And the nice thing is that a lot of these projects, we can kind of draw in lots of other um, things that kids are interested in. I often talk about the projects that we want to teach kids and this idea that we want to teach computational thinking. I don't care if a kid is really interested in horses. I don't care if a kid is really interested in space. Both of those contexts, we can then wrap a robotics project around. And then once we find something that the kids are interested in, we just tack on all these extra little bits and pieces and they're more willing to, to learn about it. Um, I did a great project with um, a, a school a couple of years ago where they were looking at automated horse barns. And so they had a bunch of kids in there who were, you know, passionate about horses. And so we started building this barn where it would automatically let the horses in um, at nighttime and let them out in the morning. And then from there, we started exploring ideas like, well, could we turn this into a business? How do we charge people to go for rides on horses? How many people do we have to get through per hour um, to be able to make a profit here. How much does our feed cost? We're going to have to hire some stable hands. And so we start drawing in all this maths as well. And the kids were really, really interested in this because they could see the application to it. It's, it wasn't just equations up on a, on a whiteboard. It was taking a large um, problem, a large project, and breaking it into lots of different areas. So I think the way that we draw kids into this and we get them engaged in these things is to find the, the things that they're interested in. Yeah. And then what we do is we wrap a little bit of, you know, robotics or um, steam around it to be able to, to bring those uh, curriculum ideas into it. Well, I don't think there's any aspects of life today that you can't actually, there's not a robotic element that you can introduce. You know, just touching on your whole story. Um, I was, I was at a um, conference where they, they had technology where they could actually lift the horse and they could scan its hooves because that's one of the biggest problems is the cracks in the hooves that you can't see. Um, so that's you, awesome. you, yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about because I can see you going, yes. And I mean, they're using robotics. So the, the whole thing there is they're lifting the horse because you like, how else are you going to do it? And then they've got the scanning machines coming out under there. And based on this, they can, they save hundreds of thousands of dollars. These are serious race horses that they go, listen, this horse is going to develop a problem now. We need to stop it now. So it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah, ro robotics can permeate our whole life. And there yeah. are robotic solutions to you know, all sorts of problems. We, we also have to be conscious that we can't just throw robots at every single challenge. Yeah. And that's where this idea of computational thinking comes into it, that we want our kids to really identify the problem first and not just throw robots at it because there might yeah. be a different solution that solves it completely. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So what do you think it's important for companies to keep in mind when they're looking at the education market? 
we're seeing lots of companies that are churning out um, educational robotics. And that's really great to see. And a lot of these robots that come out of these companies, they've come from companies where they've got some really, really smart engineers and they've made these really, really nice robots. But one thing that a lot of these companies fail to recognize is that it needs to be implemented in the classroom setting. And so they need to be able to provide support for teachers. And a lot of the times, if it's an um, engineeringly good product, but not educationally good, it doesn't really take off in the market because the teachers don't understand how to use it. Now, teachers like you and I, we, we're passionate about robots and I will quite happily sit down with a new robot and figure out all its ins and outs and how to make it work. It doesn't bother me at all. But for a teacher, the amount of you know, mental space that they've got to be able to devote to robotics while they're still teaching history and science and English mm -hmm. and maths and music and all that is really, really small. And so we just need to support our teachers a little bit more. And so any of these companies that are coming out wanting to put you know, educational robotics into classrooms, they need to understand that their target market are not people that are passionate about robots. Like they enjoy it and they have fun with it, mm -hmm. but it's not something that they'll go, they'll necessarily go out of their way to learn heaps about. We have some amazing teachers that will do that, but a lot of our teachers, because they have so many things to teach and our curriculum is pretty full at the moment, um, they, they're looking for products where it's easy for them to understand the concepts and easy for them to implement it in a classroom. So that's one of the big things that we, we really look for in an educational robotics system is not just the robot, but all the support that comes around it. Yeah, and look, you touched on a very valid point there because some of these robots can be very, very expensive. And uh, if things go wrong with them, you know, um, it, it can turn into an absolute fiasco because you've made the initial investment and then your robot sits there because it can't be used because it can't be fixed. So um, I think schools also need to be very mindful where they invest their money. Yeah, it's a real cost benefit kind of analysis in terms of how much money you're putting into a platform versus how many kids are you going to be able to reach that platform and so on yeah yeah so um i noticed that you worked for lego which just got me so um excited i just went oh lego what did you do there and i think you're still involved with lego um so my, my work with lego was quite a few years ago so yeah. um when the ev3 robot was released and that's uh, that guy right there yes um so that one was released in oh i think it was about 2013 so in about 2012, um, I did a freelance job for uh, Lego where I actually helped to use this particular robot. So the robot itself had been um, developed um, ahead of time. It had been pretty much finished and they're working on the software. And so uh, myself and a, and a couple other people, were, we all got together in uh, Denmark for a week, which was fantastic. Yeah. And we sat down and we wrote the help files. Um, on how to use all the blocks and how the software yeah. worked and all those sorts of things. So that was, it was a lot of fun. It was really good to see. Um, I got a little bit of a tour of the, the Lego factory as well. Um, since then, I do a lot of volunteering for Robocup Junior, and that's a, yeah. a robotics um, competition that's held around the world. Um, we do see a lot of Lego robots within the competition, but we see lots of other different types of robots as well. So it's always great to you know, to, to give back and help out those, those competitions and see some of those amazing kids that come through. Like I mentioned earlier, um, the kids that go on from there do amazing things. Well, we'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, and you can send me the link of that for our audience so they can um, browse along and get more information on that. So your workshops for your students and your teachers and robotics and program, how does this all work? Do you go to a school or do they come to you or how, how does it all 
So before before COVID nineteen, I'd actually go in. I do a, a ton of traveling, so I'd go yeah. go all over the place and take a, a set of robots or a set of computers out to schools, and we would sit down and we would work through you know parts of the curriculum. And I teach kids how to program robots, how to build robots, and how to program robots. Um, so I spent a lot of time doing that. It's really good to get in front of kids because um, I find if you can't explain something to a kid, then you don't really understand what you're yeah. doing. It takes a real skill to be able to explain things to kids and for them to understand it. So that's really good. And it also helps me to be able to better understand what I'm doing. So lots of workshops with kids based around coding, based around robotics. But a significant part of the things I do as well is also upskilling teachers. Um, I'm conscious of the fact that if I go into a school, I can work with 30, maybe 60 kids and teach them. But if I teach a teacher, then that teacher can go on and teach 30 kids every single year from there on in. Yeah. And so I spend a lot of time, especially with novice teachers, teachers that are very scared of technology, uh, teachers that haven't had a lot of experience with technology. You know, they might be really, really willing, but they just don't know where to start. And giving those teachers the confidence to be able to run these things in, in class. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how fancy the thing is that they have. If they're not confident to use it in class, they won't use it in class. Yeah. And so I'm really, really conscious of the fact that these teachers are coming at this thing from very, very little knowledge. And I want to be able to give them all the basics and the basics um, in a, a well, in a, in a good enough fashion that they can then you know, pick it up and use it in classrooms. So, so yeah, that's you, what I spend a lot of my time doing. So this is all over Australia? All over Australia. Um, I've done a lot of international travel as well. I've been really lucky. I've done stuff in the, the States, Japan, China, um, the Middle East as well. And so, you know, getting out to those different places, it's, it's really interesting to see how education is run in different parts of the world um, yeah. as well. I'm probably more concerned about the Australians. Nice that you've travelled, but I want the Australians <laughs> to flourish. <laughs> I, I do so, a lot of stuff in Australia. I excellent. do a lot of uh, regional things as well. So there's yeah. a lot of the little schools that are in, uh, especially regional Queensland. So yeah. I visit a lot of regional schools because those teachers don't get the chance to yeah. do a lot of upskilling. And that's where a lot of this new um, remote learning has really um, taken off in this idea that we have these teachers in places that might be four or five hours drive from the nearest, yeah. you know, big city. But by doing things like Zoom meetings and online courses, we can actually help them out and give them skills as well at a distance. Oh, it's brilliant, Damien. I mean, I look at Victoria, like the, the whole of Australia has got, we've got Melbourne, Sydney, Perth, and then the rest is just nothing in between, you know, so like, because it's, yep. it's not an hour within the, the ideal time to travel. So um, I'm sure you're going to get interest from Victoria because uh, there are lots of regional listeners as well. And they'd be going, oh, we need, we need Dr. Damien here on our staff as well. <laughs> so you've just been involved. In the, also too, it's yep. really it's really cost effective because in the past, a lot of those regional schools would have a budget to train their teachers up, but then that budget might be soaked up in sending a teacher off to yeah. Melbourne. Um, so you've got travel time out there. You've got some accommodation out there as well. And so those costs can quickly rack up. And now that people are getting more comfortable with this idea of online training, I'm, I'm seeing that there will be lots of schools where this is just part of, um, part of their, their professional development budget. And that's a, a, a good way of spending their money. Oh, definitely. I, I mean, I, I can see the value in it. Like I, my expertise is telepresence and I go, why would you be sending someone there when you've got this robot that can drive around and talk to people? I mean, of course now Zoom has not taken it to the next level, but um, you could you could be speaking to 10 uh, teachers, as you said, an hour, you could be showing them what to do and off they go and come back later and let's do it again. Like it's just a no brainer. And then from your point of view as the expert, you can remotely visit many, many more places than you could beforehand. 
Of course. And of course, they've got access to you now because, they, you know, they can just send you a quick email or just quick phone call. Just what have I done wrong here? And off you go. It does. Whereas yeah. when you do a one-off workshop, that's it. You've come, you've gone and you're gone. Like with this, is it's a more accessible way of, of, of um, being able to contact you. Exactly. Yeah. So you've just been involved in the coding at home, uh, which you co-wrote the script for two episodes for the Queensland Department of Education. Tell us more about this initiative. So when uh, all the lockdowns happened back in March, um, the Department of Education in Queensland realised that we were going to have a lot of kids at home learning from home. And so um, they started up a bunch of initiatives and one of them was the Coding at Home initiative. And basically we partnered with uh, Channel 10 to create a whole series of episodes based around teaching kids how to code. So that was to fulfil the uh, digital technologies curriculum requirements. And so they, uh, they asked me to, if I could uh, join on to help out and uh, a couple of the episodes that I'm, they asked me to, to write all the content for. So that was based around scratch programming and how to get kids started on scratch programming. And yeah, within about two or three weeks, we had scripts written and I was in front of a camera for, for one of the episodes. So it was a lot of fun. It was very, very hectic and I haven't spent much time in front of a camera. So yeah. it was interesting how many takes um, they are happy to, to do, you know, 10, 20 takes on something to, until they get it just right. But yeah, a lot of fun. And, and the finished product is really good. Um, if, you ever, if anyone ever gets a chance, if you just do a Google search home, you'll find the channel 10 links. And it's a, a series of, I think it's 10 episodes, five started just industry and got lots of interviews with people who are doing coding um, as okay. part of their job. So it's really good to show kids this is you know somewhere where you could go on to. Okay, for our audience out there, I'm I'm working from home because that's why I have to be and my internet uh, is a little bit unstable. So I'll put that in the show notes as well because it went a bit of a warp there, but we, they'll forgive us because this is COVID. <laughs> We're working under extreme pressure here. So Exactly, people understand. <laughs> they understand. Relax, take a breath. It will be there. We'll, we'll sort it out. So now tell me, COVID, we've touched a little bit how it's affected your work, but have you actually, you've obviously made, it sounds to me as you've seen an increase of work come your way. Um, so probably not an increase overall. All my yeah. physical workshops stopped and that's yeah. totally understandable. Schools yeah. did not want extra people on, on site. Um, since then, I've started up all my online workshops and they're starting to become more and more popular. But in Queensland, our uh, restrictions are slowly starting to be relaxed and schools are allowing independent contractors to come in. So I'm starting to see a lot of my bookings that I had planned for term two. Uh, being pushed back to term three some schools are saying look we don't want to we don't want to see anyone until next year um other schools are saying yeah we're, i think we're ready we've got measures in place to keep everyone nice and safe so i'm starting to to see those bookings pick up and it won't be long before i'm actually back in schools oh that's fantastic do you have a team but, of people you know Sorry to so I like the fact that I can actually get in front of the kids. I like that I can work with the teachers and chat with the teachers. And yeah. it's not, I don't want to end up in an office space somewhere directing other people to do it because it's, it's a job I enjoy so much. Yeah, I can see you're quite passionate about it and it gives you a bit of a zing. Um, you have your own children. How old are they? 
yeah, I've got two boys. I've yeah. got one in grade two and one in grade five. Yeah. Um, both love their technology. I'm yeah. slowly pushing them towards a little bit of coding here and there and a little bit of robots. But with the amount of robots that I do, they see it just as second nature. It's like, oh yeah, dad just plays yeah. with robots. It's, yeah, it's, it's not fine. a big deal for them. Yeah. So look, we want we want ba- well balanced kids. We want kids with skills. I don't go whatever the skill is. So they need to be able to cook. They need to be able to iron. They need to like this is. I, I look at it. Um, I've got adults as kids. My kids are much, much older than yours, but I look at them and I think one of the fine achievements we've accomplished as parents is they skilled individuals. That's what you want. Yes. It's not, it's not they, they're excellent at just this, like they can do a multitude of things. And I think for, for young kids out there and parents, this is really, I can't emphasize this enough because with skill comes confidence and you want confidence is really important. The next step to learning, because if you believe you can do it, you'll do it because you know, you could be set with a difficult task and you can go, listen, I've done other difficult things. This is not a problem for me. I've got the skill set to do it. Yeah, the kids will come across challenges in their life, but what we really want to do is give them the skills to say, you know what, this is something I haven't seen before, but I know that if I do this, this, and this, I can figure it out. Yeah. And so yeah, it doesn't matter what subject. And so, you know, we don't want to push kids towards a particular subject, but rather this idea of independent thinking, you know, creative thinking, critical thinking, where they can solve their own problems, solve the problems that they're interested in. Yeah. And collaboration with other children, which we know is one of the soft skills the I said, I think it's just a skill. You need to know how to work with people like that. That really is fundamentally very important. Yeah. There's no point knowing all the answers if you can't tell someone else. Yeah. Or they look, on. yeah. Or they look at you and they go, just, you're just an odious creature. I don't want to spend any time with you. So <laughs> we, 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 we're not going, we're going the other way. We're very nice. So, <laughs> so yep. what career advice do you have for people wanting to get involved in robotics? Oh, look, there, there is so much stuff on the internet. Um, if you're interested in robotics, buy yourself an Arduino, go find a YouTube series of videos and learn how to make a little LED light flash. Then learn how to make a motor spin around and then build yourself a, you know, your own robot. Grab yourself a 3D printer. Again, jump on the internet. There's, there is so much information out there that it's no longer, you know, you have to do these subjects you have to go to university if you're really passionate about something those you can get robots up and running really really quickly yeah that's what i think it is it's a it's i think it's planting the seed for kids that there's a wealth of information out there and you don't necessarily have to be an expert of everything, but it's good to know about the stuff. Like even if it's just, yes, I know about the coding. I know there's several languages. I've done a little bit, but that's not really what I'm interested, but at least they know about it. And it's, it's having the open mindset to do it. Yeah. And, and knowing that the resources are out there. And like you say, you know, having a little bit of knowledge then leads you to some more knowledge, which then leads you to some more knowledge. And the internet is an amazing place and you can find just about anything you need yeah. Um, out on the internet youtube is fantastic oh that's fabulous damien it's been such fun talking to you i'm so inspired i know nothing about coding but i'm going to go and do something <laughs> about this which is an irony for a person that's running a robotics company but i don't actually need it so if our audience wants to contact you what's the, what, where can they find you best place to find me is on my website www.damienkey.com or through facebook you can keep up with all 
with things I, I post on on Facebook. Um, just okay. So um, I can tell from our internet and connection here, we've lost a little bit of that, but I'll put it all in the show notes. Damien, thank you very, very, very much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure to talking to you. And for our audience out there, um, join us again in two weeks' time. Let's talk robotics with my next guest. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's been a lot of fun. Excellent.